Good morning. Oh, it's good to be here. Be with the Church of the Living God. Let's go to the hymn in prayer, and then we'll excuse the children for Children's Church. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you revealed yourself to us in your word. I thank you that you revealed your love to us through the Son on the cross. Father, I ask that you would fill us to overflowing with the truth about who you are. Holy Spirit, stir in us a desire for more and more and more of the Word and time with God. Father, I thank you for all that have gathered here this morning. Thank you for the body of Christ. And I thank you for the work that you do through your church. Holy Spirit, guide the words this morning that they would transform us. Let the scriptures change us and encourage us. And most importantly, Father God, in all that we do, find us thrilled to glorify you and to share in your work. Father, I thank you that we have children that are learning about Jesus Christ, learning the gospel. And as they go downstairs, I ask, Father, that you would fill them to overflowing, that they would be excited about Jesus, that they would be excited about Scripture, and they'd be excited about church. Father, thank you that we have opportunity to pass the gospel on to the next generation. Be with them downstairs. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you may go. I've been teaching about passions, and there's one in particular that I'm going to keep coming back to to hold us accountable. So how's your Bible reading going? You in the Word every day? Are you there? Is, is that what you're doing? We've got to be people of the world. So I, I have a, a few helps for being in the Word. One of them is accountability. So how does that work? That means that Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ are asking one another in that, that way that we can ask one another and you're actually expecting a truthful answer. How's your reading going? You know, help one another, encourage one another. Another help would be the regularity. Finding times in your schedule and stick to those times until those times of being in the Word just become your life, a habit really important. There are other helps like plans. Um, I don't know where to read, some people will ask me. And, and sometimes plans help us to, to know where to, to be reading and, and how to work through Scripture. And there are, are many plans available from a variety of different sources. And plans sometimes help us to stay on task. Another, another hint um, to help us in the Word is prayer. And we're going to talk a lot about prayer today. But when you go to the Word and you're, you're in that time of being in the Word, start with prayer. Start by asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate what you're going to read. That illumination from the Spirit of God will help you, and it, it will help you understand that God is speaking to you from the Word. This is huge, being in the Word. We need to be a people of the word. Now, just a minute ago, I mentioned prayer, and that's where we're going to go because another of my passions that God kind of re reignited is is a passion for prayer. God really stirred that up in me while I was on sabbatical. Um, it, it was kind of like the accountability part. You know, the Spirit of God's going. So, how's your reading? I was just fine. And, and God's kind of whispering in my ear, 
really, I haven't heard from you in a long time. Whoa. Prayer is so amazing. It's, it's so incredible. And, and this, this idea of prayer, it dovetails into the other passions. It, it, they just all work together. To gain a deeper understanding of prayer, as I've, I've taught people to, about prayer, and as we go through this this morning, as I preach about prayer, I start with learning some perspectives from the Scriptures about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Now, there, there's a dangerous thing that happens in, in gatherings because for some people, if, if I start talking about the sovereignty of God, predestination, election, any of those, there's certain terms that I could throw out from up here and something goes off in some people's heads. It's like a bomb. We have to understand God is sovereign. The Bible teaches us that he's sovereign. And it helps us to understand prayer when we grow in our understanding about his sovereignty. So that's where I start. So what does the Bible say? What does Scripture say about God's sovereignty? So here's some passages. 1 Chronicles 9, 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Psalms 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Daniel 4, 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Those are all Old Testament passages, and there's so many more that either speak directly to his sovereignty or allude to it. God is sovereign, and this idea of the sovereignty of God doesn't stop with the Old Testament. Think about these. Matthew 19, 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are, are, are possible, all things. Not just some. Romans 9.21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What's he, what's he getting at? God made everything. God made us. He's got total control over what he's made. Colossians 1.16 and 17. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. He's sovereign. He knows everything there is to know about you and me. This idea of linking sovereignty of God to prayer isn't, it's not just a Bill Williamsonism. Jesus did it. Matthew 6 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's a statement of His sovereignty. And it's linked to prayer. The Bible teaches us very clearly that God is sovereign. And as sovereign, we, we assign different terminology for some of his nature. One of those is omniscient. Think about that. Omniscience. It means God knows everything possible to be known. 
Everything possible to be known, God knows. His knowledge is not constrained in any way by our understanding of time and history. He's outside of that. He knows our past, our present, and our future equally well. God understands everything. Nothing surprises him. There's never an opportunity when, when we do something, he goes, whoa, I didn't see that coming. He's, he's got it. Think about this. Because he knows everything that's possible to be known, he does not learn anything. He never has to go to school. He's not going to take another class on being deity. He simply is, and he knows everything. And the other side of that is he doesn't forget anything. I forget my own name some days. We cannot comprehend the omniscience of God because we have a limited, finite mind. But we have to accept it. It is biblical. So my, my passion for prayer begins by connecting these two things, connecting God's sovereign omniscience to prayer. And there's three basic reasons for this. First one, God, is, God understands every situation. He understands every situation that each one of us will ever encounter. At exactly the same time, so to speak, he understands every situation encountered by every other human. He knows all that is possible to be known. So he knows every situation that there is. Why is this important for prayer? Would you want to pray to a God who doesn't know? I don't know what you're involved with. I don't want to pray that. I, that's, that doesn't encourage me in prayer. Two. God can do anything. So we've talked about his omniscience, but he's, he's also all-powerful, right? Oh, his power is unlimited. And in that, he will only do what brings him the most glory. It's all about him. He has unlimited power. Again, that encourages us in prayer because when I go to him and I want to pour my heart out and ask for anything that we would classify as praying, do I want to pray to a God that can't do it? Or to a God who can do anything? It's pretty clear. Third reason that I link these two is that God's perfect nature includes being love. He loves. That's who he is. He is love. And he loves his people so deeply that he wants the eternal best for each of us. So when we go to him, his goal, even if we pour out our hearts and, and we're asking for whatever, his goal is for the absolute eternal best and that eternal best is also something that's going to glorify God. In addition to our needs being his concern, when we're praying, he, he's also got the concern of everybody else who's praying. Have you, think about a baseball game. Zach's not here, but I'm, I'll do baseball anyway. I was at a and it's hard to do with the Rockies playing the way they are. I, that's ridiculous. So I'm at a Rockies game, and this has been years ago, and we're playing the evil, evil, evil Chicago Cubs. And I was thinking about this. Here's this stadium full of people. And part of the stadium is just going to God, asking God, we've got to score runs, we've got to have good defense, we've got to have the bats working, you know, for the Rockies, right? Go Rockies! Oh God, oh God, oh God, for the Rockies. 
Well, there's another chunk of people in that same stadium doing exactly the same thing for those evil cubs. Sporting events are really interesting when you stop and think about it. We're going we're gonna to root for whoever, that, okay? But the other side's doing the same thing, right? So what if the Christians on one side of the field are praying to win the game and the Christians on your side are praying to win the game? How does God sort that out? And one way he sorts it out is it doesn't matter that much. And sometimes he sorts it out by going, mm, I'm going to mess with your pride today. You know? Only he can sort those things out. Only God can sort out the difficulty of every human being that's a believer. Let's just go with that on the planet right now, praying at the same time. And he can sort that out. There's no problem to him. And not only does he sort it out, but he interweaves everything as he answers prayers. He, he interweaves all of the answers to those prayers in such a way that he gets the greatest glory and his purposes are fulfilled. That is huge. So we, we need to be able to accept God's amazing sovereignty and omniscience to fully understand prayer. They go, they go together. We, we, we tend to under, struggle to understand sovereignty for a variety of different reasons. But we have to accept it. It's biblical. It's a biblical principle. So we can't just go, well, no, yeah, I'm just not going to read those verses. Sovereignty of God is, is biblical. And if you, if you pursue that, God just gets more and more amazing and more and more just awesome. Not just because he's who he is, but because of how he treats us. Think about it. Think, think about this amazing thing that prayer is. God, the creator of everything. He's totally sovereign. He's created everything, including you and I. And he intends for his purposes to be moved by the prayers of his people. He wants us to pray. Could he just go and have it happen? Yes, he can. He spoke the entire universe into existence. What can't he do? So in his sovereignty, he says, I'm going to include them in what I do. And I'm going to include them with this thing called prayer. That's mind-boggling. The prayers of his people are what God uses in his sovereignty to move his hand, so to speak, in what we see. That's wonderful, and that's magnificent, and, and that should stir us to go, I'm going, I'm going to go pray. There are mysteries that surround prayer. I get that. You know, understanding things like the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and God can't interfere with my choice, all that kind of stuff. This same idea of the sovereignty of God working together with our prayer life, it, there's a conundrum here. I can't stand here and go, I've got the answer. I know how it works. And anybody who you come alongside of you and says, I understand that, they're lying to you. It's a mystery. I do not know how he does that. How can he be listening to every single prayer on the planet at the same time and know how to work it all out? I don't need to know. All I need to know is that my God is great and magnificent and amazing, and I love him for that. Men, women, boys, girls, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, from every culture and race, believers have always prayed. Believers pray. So when I talk about prayer... As I've led in the church and I've 
Pastor, there are two questions that kind of surface the most often about prayer. One's directly related to, to this message this morning. If, if God is sovereign, and He is, He's omniscient, He knows everything, why pray? He's going to work it out His way anyway, right? So why pray? On the one hand, okay, that, that's a question that kind of makes some sense. The other question that comes up almost any time I've talked with somebody about prayer is, how do I pray? How do I, how do I actually do this? What's the proper way to pray? Well, let's start with the first one. Why do we pray? Why do Christians in particular pray? Well, the first answer, simple. Here's a simple list. The first one is God commands it. The creator of the universe says through his word, pray. Okay, so we do it. Secondly, prayer glorifies God. It glorifies God. That that should be reason for us. A, A third reason that we pray is that prayer deepens our relationship with God. You want to be closer to God? You'd better be praying. And a, a, a fourth reason that I, I have, and I think there's others, but these four, there are tremendous benefits for us when we pray. Tremendous benefits. Now, that does not mean that we get whatever we ask for. That doesn't mean I can I, I want a new pickup. And God goes, okay, new pickup at this. Or new tool, or no gun, or whatever. Not necessarily. Why? Because he takes those prayers and he interweaves them into everything else that's going on for his plan and for his purpose and for our eternal blessing. You got a nice pickup, it's going to burn. You aren't going to take it with you. It doesn't matter what you got. You won't have it in heaven. But what you will have in heaven is so incredible. No one can take it away from you, and it won't quit working. So I want us to think about some exhortations about prayer. Think about how the sovereignty of God works with prayer, and think about how prayer works. Listen to these exhortations. Jesus is speaking, Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Radical. That's an exhortation to pray. Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, so he's not saying if you pray, he's saying when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now I caution you not to go down the path that says, oh, we should never pray corporately. Don't go there because I can produce other scriptures that exhort us to pray together. Follow me? When you pray is the most important part. The expectation from him is, we will pray. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer is an imperative. That means it's not a suggestion. I'm not just kind of maybe recommending, you know, try this. Be constant in prayer. Do it. Colossians 4, 2, same kind of idea. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Okay, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there's two things in that passage. One, you want to know what the will of God is? So I don't know how to pray except for with my eyes closed. I said, you need to learn how to pray with your eyes open, and don't you be closing your eyes when you're driving. Pray without 
ceasing. Without ceasing, that means all the time. All, all the time. How many of us do that? 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. All there means all, total, complete, all people. Uh, you go someplace, uh, maybe it's on the highway. Do you pray for everybody? You go to a busy store, do you pray for everybody? Where's your, where, where are you expanding your prayers? And, and, he, and he's urging that supplications, that's a form of prayer. Prayers, that's obviously a form of prayer. Intercessions, that's a form of prayer. And thanksgiving, all prayer needs to be thanksgiving, right? For all people. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given them. What will be given to them? Wisdom. You need, this. You need some wisdom? No parent of children needs wisdom, right? So prayer is an act of obedience. It's also an act of faith. Prayer is also a function of our family relationship to God. It's also an incredible act of worship. God calls us to pray, and as His people, we need to respond. Prayer, prayer is not pointless. It's not something, well, the pastor's begging us to pray, and you know, that's just going to fill another slot of the time I don't have in my life. It matters. It's not pointless. God has established prayer as a part of how he accomplishes his purposes in the world. I don't think we, we very often think about our prayer life as being a part of God accomplishing what he wants to do. That should change our prayer life. I believe strongly that God's sovereign providence is the source of the hope we have for faith-filled, effective prayer. You want effective prayer? This is where it comes from. That hope in a God who can do anything, who knows everything. And I believe this idea of this hope that we get from, an, from a sovereign God is driven by, he has unlimited power. Why in the world would we as human beings want to pray to a God that has no power? Why? What's the point? It's a waste of time. What if he didn't know everything? And so you go to your God, small g, and you go to your God and say, I really need you to help me with this area. And the response of your small g God is, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Whoa, I, that's no, there's no hope in that. What, what about our internal existence? Does our prayer life affect our eternal existence? Yeah, it, yeah, it does. This is, this is eternal stuff. You may not see the answer to your prayer about whatever it is that you lay on the table. You know, I'll use the pickup example. I, I want a new pickup. And God says, you don't need a new pickup, but because you're praying for a pickup, here's what I'm going to do to change your life for my glory. Whoa. Why would we want to pray if God didn't have authority to change complicated things? Just how many complicated things does God know how to change? For example, how about this? This is probably the most complicated thing I could come up with that God changes in prayer. A human being's heart. Psalm 
Somebody prays to accept Jesus and God changes that complicated thing of the human heart. Rescues them from hell. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is love. And His desire is for us to trust Him and come to Him with our every need, no matter how big, how small. Why? So that He can lavish on us, His children, good things. Not just good things in this life. There may be times that somebody may go, yeah, God, I really need a pickup. And He goes, you're going to get one. I was praying, I was dating her in Fort Collins, and I was working um, part-time for the university and going to school in Greeley, and I was living with my dad in Longmont. Insanity does run in my family. This was not working. I didn't own a vehicle. And my dad's going, you can't just keep using my car. So I'm praying, and I'm praying, I, I need a car. I go to church, and Uncle Russell, a really good friend of the family, he walks up to me in church and goes, you need a car? <laughs> yeah, I do. He goes, there you go. Bring it back when you're done. Whoa. I used that throughout college. It burned more gas than I'd want to admit. And uh, it was a Plymouth Fury 3, and you, I could have lived in the trunk. It was so big. <laughs> God provided the transportation that I needed. But there's other times he says, you know what? I'm going to answer this prayer for you, but you're going to see the results of that when you're standing with me in the glory of heaven. Fantastic. He wants us to understand the pricelessness and the precious things that he has for us for all of eternity that can never be taken away. The reality of prayer is that we will likely never fully understand this immeasurable value of prayer while we live out this short life. But we can catch glimpses of the amazing evidence of God's benefits to us when we pray. Here's some examples. Some of you are going to relate to some of these and some of these you won't, but here's some examples of ways that we see this amazing thing that God does in our prayers. We may pray for preparation and for wisdom and all those things that go along with a major decision. We got a big decision to make, and so we're going to go to God in prayer. Help us, God. And God begins to work inside of us and direct our thoughts. And suddenly, oh, okay. And we make a decision. Or, or we, we're praying to overcome the influence of demons or sin. No, nobody here has to do that. And because we've gone to God and, and we're being real with Him and saying, I'm really struggling with what the, the enemy is doing to me. And we find freedom. We find freedom. I've seen it so many times in my own life and pastorally. How about praying for a spiritual harvest? I want so-and-so to come to Christ. And I pray with this guy about family members. Every time he and I pray, we pray about his aunt and uncle. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. One of these days, the Holy Spirit is going to change their heart and they're going to come to Christ. We see people come to Christ. I picked on Wade and Melissa in the first service, and that's why they're not in the second service. <laughs> I show up at their house, and they are absolutely, totally devastated, emotionally, physically, and they're spiritually dead. It was a horrendous night. They are absolutely destroyed inside. I shared the gospel. Is that what you want? Yeah, we've got to have something. So we prayed. They prayed. They prayed for Jesus to be a part of their lives. Holy smokes, what a transformation. What an incredible couple for God. God does do things when we pray. 
Maybe, maybe it's a temptation. Just being tempted. And somehow, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, and he's working with our mind, we find the way out of the trap of the tempter. It's there. That's scriptural. We, we pray for spiritual growth, or we might pray for physical healing, or, or mental clarity. We might pray that for ourselves. We might pray that for someone else. And God does a work that's only possible by divine intervention. Does God still heal physically? Yes, he does. I've seen him do it. Does God heal us mentally? I've experienced that. Only God can do those things. We pray to discern his will. How many times have I been asked, Pastor, what's God's will? What's God's will? You aren't going to find that if you're not praying because he's the one who's going to show you the way and it's going to include this and your conversation with him. And as he works that out, there's a way that the Holy Spirit works inside of us and, and there's this, this, this thing that happens between the Spirit of God and your mind and you figure stuff out. And you go, oh, that's what God wants. Well, that must be his will. Okay, we'll go with that. Sound too simple? Don't complicate it with your religion. Here's another one that has been huge in my life. Many, many people, including me, want to have peace in their lives. And, and their life is filled with drama and tragedy and stuff. And there's no peace. Just an afternoon of peace. And very often in our life and the lives that we live, peace is very elusive. And Paul links this idea of peace with prayer. Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace of God. I don't want just a little bit of peace. I want the peace that God has. And I want it to rule in my heart. That's huge. And that, having that peace is, is predicated on whether or not I pray. The reality is that if we do not pray, we cannot expect an answer. I don't see God doing anything. Well, you aren't praying. James 4, 2, you desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This is very similar to sharing the gospel with people. When I share the gospel, I don't know if they're going to respond. And I certainly don't know if they're going to respond if I don't share. Actually, I do. They won't respond. We don't share the gospel, they're not going to respond. If I don't pray, God's not going to answer. Prayer glorifies God because when we pray, we demonstrate our faith in God. You want to see God's power? You want to you realize how big and how mighty God is? No prayer, no power. It glorifies Him. We pray because we believe He is able to answer and gives us the answer that is the best for us. And He is glorified by this demonstration of our faith. I trust Him when I pray. One of the best ways we can learn about how to pray is to study how Jesus prayed. It's one of those incredible things in Scripture. Here's the second person of the Trinity, so he's God himself and he's praying. And that messes with some people's minds. God himself is praying to God himself. What? In his humanity, Jesus prays. How did he pray? He prayed for himself. Look it up. He prayed for himself. He prayed for others. And he prayed to commune with the Father. 
Listen to this. John 17, 20. Jesus is praying. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That's an incredible prayer. Incredible prayer. Prayer for, for the body of Christ to get along with one another. That's part of it. But this is another exhortation that we need to be, we need to be just constantly praying not just for us, but for the entire body of Christ and for those who are outside of Christ. In this prayer, he's praying for us. He's praying for us to live as the body of Christ in oneness, unified in him. And in that unity, that's a powerful witness of the presence of God. Wow. Jesus also modeled that we're to pray in God's will. Pray in God's will. Well, what's God's will? Listen to how he's praying. This is in the garden. Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. So Jesus in his agony is praying, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to suffer physically. But that's your will. I will do your will. Our prayers, any request that we have, must be submitted to God's will. And as we pray, our will starts to become more and more like His. In Christ's prayer life, we also see this, this prayer deepening the relationship with God. Because if you, if you go through the prayers of Jesus, he's constantly praying to the Father. He's the Son. He's God. Okay. Well, uh, he's talking. Uh, there's this relationship thing. Throughout his earthly life, he prays to the Father. The main purpose of prayer helps us in this whole discussion of how to pray. It's worship. Anybody here want to worship God? Anybody here want to glorify God? It, you know, oh man, that's pretty sad. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. Do we want to glorify God? Oh, that's what we were created for. That's worship. So when we come to him in prayer, it's an act of worship. Because we're recognizing God for who he is, what he has done, and what he can do. There are so many examples of prayer being an act of worship in the Bible. It was almost like throw a dart to pick one. I love this one. This is, this is a prayer by Hezekiah. It's found in 2 Kings 19. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heavens and earth. Do you hear the worship? How we pray should be evidence of this purpose because our focus is on who God is and not on ourselves. I want what God wants. I want to see him glorified. It's an act of worship. So this idea of prayer. Prayer is such an important part of the Christian life. Many times in my Christian life, I've heard people say that, that prayer is like breathing. And there's times as a pastor, spiritually, I see a whole lot of people in the body of Christ with blue lips. They're not breathing. We need to, yeah, we need to be a people of the word, but we need to be a people of prayer. 
Why? Because it glorifies Him. Now, how do we pray? Let's look at that a little bit more because it's so simple, really. You talk to God. And you talk to God like any other important relationship. Think about the relationships that you have, especially with, say, a best friend. I asked this to somebody this week. What do you do with a best friend? They went, I don't have a best friend. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll pray for you. <laughs> do you do any of the following to maintain and deepen a personal relationship that you have? Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's whatever, okay? Do, do you do any of these things? Do you talk to them? Meaning face-to-face, Okay. Do you text them? I always do this. I can't do that. I, okay. Do you use Facebook? Now, I'm not saying that God's going to receive a text from you or that he's got some place that you can go to called Facebook. Facebook God? I, no. What's the point? Sometimes what we do with relationships is we just hang out with one another, right? The point is we expend energy to converse with them, to interact. Conversations with friends in particular and in marriages are best when they are two-way communication. If there's not two-way communication in your marriage, you've got a problem. Those of us who have been married a while know that. Two-way communication. Friends, friendship. You want to deepen that? There's two-way communication. Same thing's true with God. People in relationships naturally seek to communicate with each other, and prayer is our communication with God. The principal way that He communicates to us is this. It's Scripture. Why am I making such a big deal out of us being in Scripture? Because I want God talking to you. I want you paying attention when he's going, I want to speak to you. The other side of that is that our principal way of communicating to him is what we call prayer. I, I find times throughout the day, just, just talking to him. God. He speaks to us through the word. We speak to him in prayer. I want you to consider the relational aspect of prayer from a passage in Psalms. Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now that, that verse has been misused radically. That, that's, that's like a, a credit card with God's name on it. I can go get anything I want. That's not what that verse means. This is also not meant to be a, a way of manipulating God. You know, if I go to him with the desires of my heart, he's going to give me whatever I want. No. It, it, also, it also is not a way that he treats us. What, why do I say that? Okay, so, so we delight in God, and when we delight in God, he pats us on the head and gives us a treat like we do with our pets. Good boy. Here's the treat. That's not what it means either. What it means is that when we delight in the most important of all relationships, this is relationship stuff, when we delight in who he is, what he can do, when we pray, we will find everything that we really need in him. That's relationship. When we delight in the Lord, God's desires begin to become our own. When our desires match God's desires, then our prayers are aligned with His will. You want your prayers answered every time you go to God? Then be praying His will. How do you do that? It's relational. How well do you know God? Two parts to that. Are you in the Word? And are you praying? When we truly seek God, when we truly desire God and passionately desire to see His will accomplished in this world, and when we pray for what brings him glory, 
He's eager to give us whatever we want. Have you ever done that in your prayers? God, whatever you do today, I want to make sure that you're glorified. What will it take to have you glorified wherever I'm at today, God? Is that your prayer? God will answer that prayer. My passion for FBC, my passion for prayer, is that God finds us often before His throne, at His feet, in prayer. We have His promise found in James 5.16. A promise. The fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Fervent prayer. You want to accomplish much? Pray. My desire is that God glorify Himself in our lives as we believe in Him enough to come after Him in continual prayer. And Father, we come to You now. And we ask that you would hear our hearts cry for you. That you would receive glory and honor and praise. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for neglecting our relationship with you. Forgive us for doing it all in our own strength and in our own time. Holy Spirit, stir us up to be a people who just want to be with God continually and build that relationship and deepen that relationship. Father, thank you that you speak to us from your word. And I ask, Father God, for this part of the body of Christ, that people would see us working together in unity and praying and exalting you and having a desire for the things of your kingdom that you would be glorified and your kingdom established and expanded here on earth. Father, we desire you. We delight in you. In Christ's name, amen.